And today, we are uh, excited to continue uh, our study of the Gospel of John. One of the things we really value and really uh, love as a church family is we love just going through books of the Bible. Uh, we are uh, about well, five, we're in chapter five uh, of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John for a, a good long while, and so uh, really excited to kind of pick up where we left off last week. And so I'm going to invite Miss Renee to come. She is going to do our scripture reading for us today, so I invite you to open your Bibles to John 5, and she'll read, and then I'll pray, and we'll get to work here. John 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to all to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Amen. Would you pray with me, friends? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is given to us uh, as our life and our, our source of truth. And God, I ask and I pray today as we uh, look at these verses and these words that you have inspired to be written, God, I'm asking and I'm praying that you would open our hearts to receive the truth from your word. God, I, I pray for each and every single one of us to have a deeper connection, a greater connection with Jesus uh, as a result of our time spent studying these words. And God, I pray for myself uh, that you would guard my lips and you would uh, keep me uh, to only speak that which is in line with the truth of your word and would all of our attention and our focus be on Jesus in whose good name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You know, a few years ago, uh, before we were meeting at Linwood High School, we met at a different school. We, it was a, an elementary school in Shoreline, and it was really tucked off in kind of an unusual corner of Shoreline, right by Mount Lake Terrace, Lake Forest Park, almost Edmonds in certain areas. It was just kind of tucked away. And uh, we had one of these kind of wintry, uh, cold, rainy, and windy weeks, and the power went out on Saturday night. And actually, just a really quick show of hands, how many of you were here on that Sunday morning when we had no power? A handful of you guys remember that? So for those of you who weren't part of it, we, it was Saturday night, the power had gone 
gone out and we just knew that power was not gonna be ready for us Sunday morning. So Travis, who was one of our pastors at the time, sent out a kind of a frantic email and a series of text messages and said, if anybody has a generator, show up at 6.30 tomorrow morning and we're gonna fire these generators up. If you have uh, extension cords, bring extension cords. And so we had, I kid you not, we had two generators, like gas-powered Home Depot generators and hundreds of feet of extension cords running in to our auditorium. Uh, the kids' area was like all windows, so it was bright enough, but the, the main auditorium where we would worship was just a dark black box. And so we ran uh, extension cords around. It would have been some sort of electrician's nightmare, but we had uh, lamps set up around the stage and some lamps set up around there, and then we set up a little tiny sound system. And I think, uh, uh, Elizabeth, were you leading music that Sunday? I don't even remember what we did, but we had enough electricity to just kind of put it together, and we told everyone, get your phones out like it was a Guns N' Roses concert or something. And, and, and we, we worshiped, and we sang, and I preached, and we, we celebrated the Lord's table together and we dismissed and no one died. And it was this phenomenal, phenomenal Sunday. It's very memorable. It just came up in my Facebook memories again recently. And I was thinking about that, like we made it work, right? Those generators made it work, but that would have not lasted us too terribly long. Eventually the generators would have either run out of gas or the generators would have burned out. The motors would have burned out. If you tried to do that Sunday after Sunday, day after day after day, we needed a a better source of power. One of the things we've been really thankful about meeting at Linwood High is the district has told us that this is actually a central hub for the region, for the area, so that if power goes out in other places or if there's an emergency, Linwood High School has power priority so that people could come here and, and find shelter and electricity and warmth if they need it. We're like, sweet. So I don't have to lose sleep on Saturday nights when there's a windstorm wondering if we're going to have to do that whole extension cord nonsense in here. <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. Now, this, this idea though of, of needing a source of power, needing a source of life, it serves as a good analogy for this passage we're looking at today because Jesus is teaching on life. See, we all need certain things for us to have life. Would you agree? I mean, obviously there's the necessities. We need food. We need water. We need sleep. We need shelter and clothing. But then there's all of the human and and even, uh, if I could call them, sociological needs. We need companionship. We need relationship. We need to be loved. And all of these things help give us life. But really, uh, this, this passage that we're looking at today is really all about God offering us uh, the ultimate source of life, the ultimate source of our sustenance and our, and our power. Because for all of us, we, we need life. You know what's interesting to me? When I think about this idea of God giving us life, I don't know how many of you, have, you know, either grew up in church or you've heard certain people talk about life and relationship with God in a way that, it will stop me if you've heard this one. You need to invite Jesus into your life. Anybody heard that? Now, on the one hand, that's absolutely true. But I think what you're going to see as we look through this passage today is that it's not that we need to invite Jesus into our life. It's that God in his grace invites us into his life. That God is in and of himself the source of all life. And rather than us saying, I need to open up the door of my heart and let him into my life, it's God saying, hey, why don't you jump on board with ultimate life? I have all life within myself. Why don't you plug into, instead of this, these temporary generators that you're looking to be powered by, why don't you plug into the, uh, the ultimate source of life? I don't know why it just came to me like the, is it Transformers, the AllSpark? That's really nerdy. I'll fix that for the next service. I'm sorry. But 
But that's where we're going today. And we're, we're looking at some verses. <laughs> this is a side note, but as I was studying this week and preparing, I'm getting into some of the deepest waters theologically that I can ever remember having to prep for a sermon. Like there is some really, really deep theology in these verses. And I came across uh, uh, an old uh, uh, preacher, a Presbyterian preacher, J.C. Ryle, and he said this, one thing is certain, nowhere else in the Gospels do we find our Lord making such a formal, systematic, orderly, regular statement of his own unity with the Father, his divine commission and authority, and proofs of his Messiahship as we find in this discourse. To me, it seems one of the deepest things in the Bible. Translated, Puritan preacher J.C. Ryle says, this is a really tough passage. And I was like, thank you, because I was a little confused for a while there. We're going to wade into some deep, deep waters, because this is Jesus teaching. For those of you who were here last week, you remember we had a guest preacher. We had Rabbi Matt teaching us last week. He did a great job. And, and this story was Jesus, he healed this man who had been an invalid for 38 years. He healed him. He, he, he did a miracle. The man rose, took up his mat and walked. He hadn't walked in four decades. And these certain religious leaders came up and said, what? You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath and like totally miss the point. Like, how about, hey, the guy's walking for the first time in four decades. No, he's violating the Sabbath. And you remember the accusation that these religious leaders made against him. We saw this last week in, in verse 18. The religious leaders says they were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, pause, did Jesus break any of God's laws ever? No, never did but he was breaking their man-made imposed rules about the Sabbath. So they're really mad at him about that. And they thought that he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So to the first part, did Jesus ever break the Sabbath? Well, no, he didn't. He broke their rules. To the second part, was Jesus really making himself equal with God? Let's dive in and see how Jesus answers. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, he answered them, Truly, truly, that's a, that's a, whenever you see that in the Bible, truly, truly, you know what it means? Like, for reals, guys. Like, that's how you'd translate it today. Like, I'm, I really mean what I'm saying. Truly, truly. It's not just one truly, it's two trulys. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And then I want to skip down to verse 26 talking about life. It says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Oh my goodness, there's some deep, deep stuff in there. Let me, let me just talk about for a minute the life that God has within himself. And we can see from that verse 26 that God has perfect life within himself. We are, if I can use this phrase or this terminology, we are dependent beings, are we not? We are contingent beings. 
we, we have had uh, just a rash of new, that's, rash is the wrong word, it sounds bad, but just a, a flood of new babies born into our church family recently. And uh, you, you see these brand new little babies. My, my youngest is five. And then sometimes I get around these newborn babies. Like I forget that my kids were ever that little, were ever that tiny, were ever that helpless. For those of you who are brand new parents, you know that if you don't attend to them quite literally 24-7, they will not survive. In fact, uh, it's a scientific uh, proven fact, a medical fact, that, that babies, if not shown enough love and attention and being held and being snuggled, they, they, they have something that's called failure to thrive. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're contingent beings. By the way, as you grow and as you mature and as you become a, an older child and a teenager and adult and as you age, do you ever stop being a contingent being? Are you ever able to just say, I have life within myself. I don't need anyone or anything else. I just can exist. Are you able to say that? The answer is obviously no. So there's a huge difference between human beings and God. The Bible teaches that human beings, all humans, men, women, all uh, ethnicities and backgrounds and, and all nations of the earth, we're all made in the image and the likeness of God. And so we have many things that we are, share with God because he's made us that way. But this is one of those really, really big differences between us and God. God has life within himself. God depends on no one and no thing to exist. What, what ought that to stir in us? Might I suggest humility? <laughs> Might I suggest gratefulness? Thankfulness? The fact that you woke up this morning and you have oxygen in your lungs and you have blood pumping through your veins is a gift from God. It's a, the fact that you even woke up, the fact that the, the world even uh, hasn't just completely disintegrated. The book of Hebrews says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has all life within himself. This is good news for us, friends. This is the starting point of where our life actually comes from. The second thing, though, that we can see in, in, this, in these verses we read is that there's not only perfect life within God, but there's perfect unity within the persons of God. See, Christianity is a unique uh, teaching among the, the religions of the world or the philosophies of the world because what Christianity teaches is that though there is one God, there is only one God. Sound City, how many gods are there? One. Great job. You passed the pop quiz. Excellent. But this God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are 100% God. Not 33 and a third and 33 and a third. All three are 100% God. All three are fully God, and yet all three are not each other. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And you say, how does that work? And we simply have to, at some point, say these are mysteries that we're invited into, but we ourselves, again, are not God. We don't fully understand it. But the, one of the things that we absolutely can see is that there is perfect unity. In, in verse 19, when Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. How many of you have ever heard people say things, something along the lines of, well, you know, God in the Old Testament was this way, but then Jesus came along and Jesus was like different and he showed us, you know, a different sort of a God. Anybody ever heard things kind of along those lines? The problem is, is that doesn't square with what Jesus himself taught. Jesus himself 
only had what we would call the Old Testament. That was his Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus called on those Scriptures all the time in his own teaching, and he quoted them verbatim. And then he says things like, whatever the Father does, that's what I do. And whatever I do is exactly what God does. Actually, Rabbi Matt did a great job last week of saying, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. To put it bluntly, you want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. And if you look at Jesus, if you ever had the, the question, you know, what if God uh, was one of us? Just a slob like one of, right? You remember that song from the 90s? Terrible song, but now it's all stuck in your head, so you're welcome. That's my gift to you. We want to know what God's like. We want to know what he would do. We want to know what he would say, how he would act. Well, we look at Jesus. There is perfect unity from cover to cover of the scriptures. Jesus is the God of the Bible made human. Amen? And so we cannot drive a wedge between Jesus and the Father because Jesus said no such thing. He says, only, only those things which the Father does, I do. There's perfect unity in the life of the Trinity. And then number three, what we can see in this passage is because of that perfect life and because of that perfect unity, we are offered a perfect salvation. Do you notice what Jesus said in verses 20 and 21? He says, the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him. So the greater works is referencing healing that man whose legs didn't work. He was an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're just getting going. Greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And then what kind, of, what kind of greater works are we talking about? Are we, are we talking about, you know, like, uh, you know, sawing somebody in half? Are we talking about, you know, more water into wine? Or what, you know, what are we talking about? No, Jesus says, no, this, this is not just magic tricks or, or, or parlor tricks or, or things designed to get your attention. No, there's, this is all pointing somewhere. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. We're talking about the raising of dead here. We're talking about death and resurrection. What might Jesus be hinting towards? Now at the time when Jesus is saying this, people are going to be scratching their heads. What are you talking about? Death and resurrection? Yeah, I know that there's a, a day coming when there will be a final resurrection, but Jesus is not talking about that. Jesus is talking about his own death and resurrection. You know what's interesting is, is we talk about Jesus we talk about the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us. You guys know that, that word gospel? It means, it means good news. By the way, when you, when you pick up the news and you read just the news, is that anything that you have done? Well, I hope not. But is that right? Like, the, read about you in the paper again this weekend, Dan. Sorry about you. Know. The news is, is something that you receive. It's something that you hear. It's not necessarily even something that you do. It's just something that, that is, is true. It's something that happened. And the good news is that Christ died for our sins, but that Christ rose again on the third day, proving that all of his claims were true and that he has not only the authority to forgive sins, praise God for that, but the authority to invite us into this life that God himself has. He's given, he's given us access to all the life of the Trinity through his death and resurrection. Does that just blow your mind? That God, the one who depends on no one and no thing for life, has said, hey, by the way, because of this death and resurrection, I'm, I'm gonna invite you into my life. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Do you see what I meant at the beginning when it's, it's not so much about you asking God to come into your life, it's about God saying, hey, I'm going to give you mine. Which one's better? <laughs> well, yes, I, I have this life and things were going very good in my life and I just realized there was something missing. I had this God-shaped hole in my heart and so I invited God to come in and lo and behold, he filled it. Now everything is perfect and complete. As opposed to God saying, you're dying. You've been unplugged. Yeah, you got a battery, but the moment that you got up this morning and unplugged your phone from the wall, it's slowly dying. Each and every single one of us, because of our sinfulness, because of our fallenness, we've been unplugged from the source of all life. God sends Jesus to say, hey, I'm going to reconnect you. I'm going to plug you back. I'm going to give you not only a good life, right? Now, I'm going to give you everlasting life, eternal life, life that never runs out. Jesus came not just to do miracles, not just to heal a man whose legs didn't work. He came to do those things to point forward to the greatest miracle of all, which is his resurrection. Sound City, we love the resurrection. We like to remind each other that the tomb is empty. As I, as I often like to say, I have to remind myself on Sunday mornings, like Jesus got out of the tomb, I can get out of bed. It's gonna be okay. I'm not a morning person. It's, it's still hard for me after all these years. Jesus is risen. Christ is risen. And, and actually, the apostle Paul goes so far as to say, if Christ hasn't been risen, then this, what we're doing right now, is a colossal waste of our time. You should just go home and eat freezer waffles, because that would be a better use of your time than what we're doing right here. But no, in fact, Christ is risen. And so we have hope and we have life forevermore. It's good news, friends, right? I want to I wanna, I wanna drill down deeper, if you'll just allow me for a few minutes. Go back to that verse 26, what it says, verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. If I could, if I could just put this before you, I think this is perhaps the, the, the widest open look behind the curtain into the inner life of the Trinity that we get in the entire Bible. If you really think about what's being said in this verse, Jesus said these words. He's, he's, he's making a defense. They think that he's making himself equal with God, and Jesus says this. So think about what it said here. The Father has life within himself. That means he depends on no one and no thing to have life, right? And that means you are, you are in and of yourself, the ultimate source of power. But then it says that the Father has granted for the Son to have life within himself. Wait a minute. Okay, that, if you think about that, how, how can the son have life within himself but also be granted, right? Like granted implies a, a relational direction. It implies some sort of authority, does it not? Uh, if you don't think that the word granted carries authority, uh, husbands, I want you to try this with your wives this weekend. Uh, my dear wife, I would like to give you a weekend away with your ladies so you guys can just go have friends versus try this one. My dear wife, I would like to grant you a weekend away with your lady friends. You, you try that. Tell me how it goes, right? Th those words, giving and, and granting, they carry some different weight. So what Jesus is saying here is there is some sort of an order to the relationship between the persons of the Godhead, between the persons of the Trinity. The, the Father is granting the Son something that is ultimate, now, at that point, we just go, what? How is it that the son has life within himself because the father granted? We, don't, we can't even understand how that works. This is, this is what made some of the earliest Christians, you know, in the, in the two and three hundred, they had to wrestle with some of this stuff. 
This is where we get our language of like the Nicene Creed, historic ancient Nicene Creed. It says this, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God. Wait, what? He's God, but he's also from God. He's, huh? Light, he's light, but he's from light. Huh? True God from true. He's really truly God, and he's from the true God. Begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Now, how many, got it? Perfect, Should we move on? Yes. Nailed it? <laughs> you, these verses, see, you understand something. The, the history of the, the Christian faith and these creeds and stuff, they didn't just come out of nowhere. This isn't people just sitting around thinking, how could we make the most complicated doctrine of God we could possibly come up with? No, it's, it's, it's because of verses like John 5, 26, where Jesus says this mind-blowing thing and Christians are trying to wrestle through. How do we make sense of it? At the end of the day, there's an anonymous quote. Sometimes it gets attributed to Augustine, if not him. says this, The mind of man cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. He who has tried to understand the mystery fully will lose his mind, but he who would deny the Trinity will lose his soul. Woo, all right. You know the saying, you know, when you're on thin ice, you might as well dance, right? Here, here's the, here, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me help us with this. Here's the bottom line. This doctrine of the Trinity is incredibly good news for us because it means that God has everything that he needs within himself. God has perfect life within himself. God has perfect relationship in himself. Throughout the course of history, people have come up with different creation stories, and it's usually the gods are fighting, or the gods are lonely, or a god is needy and incomplete, and so they create just out of this need and this incompleteness. Well, if, if the doctrine of the Trinity is true, then God created us not because he needs anything, but because he is full of love and grace. And if the doctrine of the Trinity is true. If Jesus is saying that, that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father and they act in perfect unity, then that means that in saving us, in sending Jesus to die and rise again for us, God doesn't need something from us. He wants us. And that is infinitely better to be wanted than to be needed. Amen? Because if you're needed, someone might manipulate you or they might take advantage of you or they're selfish. Their, their motive is inherently self-focused. The doctrine of the Trinity is the bedrock that lets us know that God's only motive towards us is one of loving grace. This is such good news, you guys. It, this, is, this is one of those ones, you're, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying in this moment, you, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it, and you're gonna keep thinking about it throughout the week because it, it takes time to kind of sink down deeper. So God has perfect life within himself. He creates us out of an overflow of his goodness and grace. He redeems us out of an overflow of his love and grace. And this is really good news for us. Then Jesus keeps going. Verse 22. The father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the son. The different persons of the Trinity have different roles. So the son is the one who has judgment. And when we hear that word judgment, we often think of, of a negative connotation or a, a criticism or something like that. But, but the word judgment often, uh, it can mean that. It can mean, you know, a penalty or something. But oftentimes it also means being able to sort out the mess. 
There have been a, a few high-profile cases in the news recently, and, and, and you just have you ever thought about being the judge in one of those cases? The 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 doctor who's uh, had, had had abused all of the the gymnasts and stuff for years and years and years. Could you imagine being the judge in charge of that case, having to sort through all of that, having to hear all that testimony, having to figure it all out? The Bible says that that's Jesus' role. All of the mess of the world, it's, it's his responsibility to sort through and to judge it all. So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, listen to this, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the uh, the Son of God and those who hear will live. A couple of things we can see through this as well. First of all, we can see that this eternal life, God's inviting us into his life, but the, the only offer of life is in Jesus. It only comes through Jesus. Uh, last year, uh, myself and, and Kyle, one of our deacons, we traveled to uh, Uganda. And uh, there's Julie. Hi, Julie. And Julie was so gracious at the, the mission house in Uganda. Uh, there was one outlet where you could plug in and charge your phone. And uh, everything else was on, you know, different power solar panel. And there was one basically like one of those power strips. And there was another power strip, another power strip, another power strip. And all of, not only the Americans, but all the Ugandans as well, because God love them. They've all got iPhones now too. And uh, so we're all plugging in our phones. There's this one source. And man, it was like a, uh, it was like a, I mean, just like a trip hazard, uh, again, OSHA nightmare sort of a thing. We're all plugged in our phones, but there's this one spot where we can go to plug in our phones. And if I tried to plug in my phone outside or try to plug in my phone anywhere else, I just wouldn't get any power. I wouldn't get any juice. God's offer of this life, it only comes through Jesus. It only comes through him. And, and let me just offer you, I know that that's, a, that's an exclusive claim. And, and people, especially in our day and age, we really struggle with exclusive claims. But the idea of God offering us this life, this source of life, this power through Jesus is incredibly good news because it's better than anything you and I would have ever come up with. You and I would have come up with, here's 27 good deeds you must do. Here's a set of ritual, you know, religious rituals you've got to do. Here's, here's the bar of goodness that you have to meet. And usually we always set the bar of goodness at about where we're at. But if, if you're being honest with yourself, you don't live up to your own standard of morality. Can I say that? Can you agree with that? Like even if, apart from the Bible, apart from God's standard of morality, you don't live up to it. I had this conversation with someone recently who's not a Christian and I was just talking with him, like, tell me your standard of morality. And he, he went on this, you know, long explanation of his, his morals. I said, you don't, you don't live up to that. He's like, well, no, I don't. I'm like, oh, sounds like you might need some grace then, huh? God's offer to us in Christ Jesus is grace. So this is incredibly good news that our eternal life comes only through Jesus. The second thing we see is that eternal life is a present reality. When I say the words eternal life, what I'm going to guess is that most of you think about something that happens off in the future. It happens, uh, you know, somewhere in the distance, either after you die or maybe when Jesus returns, the trumpet sounds, the skies split open like we sang about in that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, You know, you're, you're thinking about something that's future, but what did Jesus say? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Grammar nerds, what tense is that? Present, yes, thank you. You outed yourself, I'm sorry. I looked it up in the Greek. 
It's present tense. Whoever believes has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has already right now today passed from death to life. So how many of you Christians realize you are currently living the eternal life that God has for you? Sure, yeah, your body's wasting away. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, still, there's still brokenness. There's, there's sickness. There's death. You're, you know, should Jesus not return? Yes, you're going to die one day. But the promise of resurrection is right there. But you got eternal life right now today, which actually leads me to the third thing that we can see, which is in verse 25, that this eternal life, it's already here, but it's also not yet. Oh, there's a tension. We don't like tensions. I would, I would say Americans in particular. We don't like tensions. We want 11 or nothing. We want full bore or just leave me out of it. We, we, we're, we're pretty good at flattening things out. But the biblical reality, what Jesus is teaching, he says, yeah, you've got this eternal life right now, but also it's, it's not all the way here. An hour is coming and is now here. Well, is the hour coming or is it now here? And Jesus goes, yeah. And we go, ah, and Jesus goes, ah, and we have to, somebody has to submit, and it's not Jesus. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. When I was in high school, uh, we, I, they didn't have, you guys familiar with the Running Start program? State of Washington has Running Start now where, where kids who are in high school can start taking uh, college classes and so they're getting college uh, credit but they're also finishing out their high school. They didn't have that when I was in high school but I just did that. Um, we're in a, you know, I grew up in Alaska. There's no rules there so you can kind of do whatever you want and so I started taking classes at the university and I got a jump start on my college education and also those classes applied for my high school credits and it was kind of this duality. I was living in the already not yet of my college career and it's just this kind of weird place of tension. That's kind of like what it, what it is to be a Christian. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is come. The kingdom of God is among you. But then Jesus also says things like the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is, is growing like a tree. It's like a, it's like a you know, faith, like a mustard seed that grows into a huge tree, that there's this progression of time. It's here. It really is here. And yet we're awaiting for its completion. We're waiting for its fulfillment. And this is where Jesus lands the plane. Verse 27. He... That's the father has given him, the son, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Don't marvel at this. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't, don't, be, don't be blown up by this. Don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let me... Let me, let me let me begin to land the plane with this as well for us. Um, again, this language of judgment and this language of a day of reckoning, it's hard for us. It's hard for us in our ecumenical culture. It's hard for us in our very accepting and very pluralistic society to say there's, there's a day of judgment, there's a day of reckoning coming. I will tell you, um, I have been pretty surprised by the types of interactions that I've had with people, both, both in real life, but in particular on social media, over some of the recent scandals, um, particularly related to uh, sexual abuse scandals. You guys have heard, I mean, names like Harvey Weinstein, that's nothing new. We've heard about this. Uh, this doctor who took advantage of, of these young women for years and years and years and never got caught and never got a day of reckoning, but then the day of reckoning comes and I, and I see 
comments from people. It's, 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 I'm, I'm still even kind of trying to process this, but I'm inviting you into this because I see comments from people, good, loving, open-minded, tolerant, progressive Seattleites who say things like, I hope they rot in hell. And actually, what's really fascinating to me is these are the same kinds of people who would say things to me like, why would, why would God, you know, why would they talk about hell? And why would there be verses about judgment and, and punishment and all that stuff? It's just so primitive and backwards and ancient. And then yet, when someone has done something clearly wrong and even horrific, they are delighted in that person receiving judgment. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, I'm still processing through it. I don't claim to have some sort of authoritative insight on it, but it's just fascinating to me to see the way that we as human beings crave justice. We, we, we know there's a line. We may argue about where the line is. We may have different definitions, but we know that there is a line. And for, for some people, it's just as clear as day. They deserve judgment. Do you know where God draws the line according to the Bible, according to what Jesus taught? Do you know where God draws the line? Perfection. Well, that's a really, that's a really tough line. Yeah, no kidding. Because what's God going to do? Well, here's the deal. You have, you're allowed 500,000 sins in your life. It might sound like a big number. It's not. You've probably already done that just this week. It's fine. Uh, 500,000 sins, you're allowed. But then, you know, all of a sudden, Hannah, you did 500,000. Jonathan, you did 500,001 which is, I'm guessing, how your marriage probably goes, right? So, so, so you mean to me, she gets to go to heaven and, and he has to go to hell because he did that one extra sin? The only just place is for God to draw the line of perfection. But because God is not only a God of justice, but a God of grace and mercy, he says, I will meet the requirements for you in my perfectly righteous son, Jesus, who will die and rise again and offer you his life. Man, a day of reckoning will come even death won't let us escape it. You see this, this language of resurrection? This is one of my favorite verses, a side point from what I'm trying to drive at here, but uh, eternity is not see-through on clouds with harps and, and gold robes. That's not the eternity that awaits us. At the end of the age, it says there's a resurrection. And all who have placed their faith in Jesus will live in a perfected new heavens and new earth. Bodily, physical, I mean, could you imagine like all of the joys and all of the delights of, of this earth, but just none of the sickness and sorrow and, and sadness and sin and death? Well, it's a uh, flu season right now, right? Some of you guys are like, amen. Right, like there's cold going around. I was talking with Hope this morning. She said that the, this like the worst flu season in, in decades and the, the vaccine or the, the flu shot has a 10% success rate. Ugh. No wonder we all feel horrible. New heavens, new earth, restoration, eternal life, perfection. That's the offer that God's granting to us. But this day of reckoning is coming, and, and the idea here is, where is your life found? Where is your life found? What is your source of life? If, if we were to hire a private eye to follow you around, that's a really creepy sentence coming from a pastor. Uh, uh, if Steve was to hire a private eye to follow you, I'm, I'm deflecting here, bro, it's you. If, if you're, someone was to hire a private eye to follow you around for a month 
and they meticulously took notes on everything you did and everything you thought about and every, you know, every endeavor that you undertook and everything you spent your money on. And they dug through your trash and they dug through your receipts and they looked through your bank records. What would they say your life is all about? What's your life all about? Where are you getting your life? What, what is it that's, that's feeding you? What is it that's sustaining you? Where do you find your sense of meaning, your sense of significance, your sense of purpose? Now listen, there are many good things that we can draw some life from. Family is a good thing, amen? Career and, and finance and business, those are good things. Uh, activities and travel and experience. Those are all good things. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that those things are in and of themselves wrong. The problem is, is that they are gas-powered generators that will eventually run out. And if those things, family or career or experiences or activities, if those things are not ultimately tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will leave you empty. The book of Hebrews uh, talks about this, this idea that, again, when, when Jesus returns, it says that uh, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. That just means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Everything's going to get shaken. Uh, my family members up in Alaska, they had an 8.0 earthquake last week. Super high uh, 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 on the scale, on Richter scale, is that even right now? I don't even know if that's called that anymore. But the, the shaking and everything, oh, see? Only those things that, this is not going to be in heaven with me, right? Only those things that are eternal are going to last. We are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. So let's be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Had some, some people from our church over for dinner on Friday night and they were talking about before they met Jesus, before they got invited into his life uh, about seven or, or eight years ago, he, I mean, it was, it was kind of stereotypical. It was Edmonds, it was suburbs. He was all about his business. He traveled around the, the world and he had a, a credit card, an expense account that was just, man, he was living it up. She was at home with the kids, and the kids were her life. It was just kids and kid activities and making sure the kids got, you know, done with school and got into good colleges, and everything was, was just set up. Life was all about business and kids, and they were dead. There, there was no source. There was no life, and they were just, I mean, both of them had, had tears kind of come into their eyes as they were recounting. When Jesus, when Jesus saved them, when Jesus reconnected them to the source of life, that they were, they were just, I couldn't believe how empty my life was. I had all these things. I had every possession. Anybody from the outside looking in would say they're very successful. Their life is great. They have everything, but really on the inside was death. For, for those of you who are here today who are, who are not followers of Jesus, if there was that shaking was to occur today, what of your life would stand? What would remain? What would last? Is it temporary things? Even good things. Not even, I'm not even talking about the bad things that we sometimes seek our life in. Even good things. Is that really where you find your life? Friends, predominantly a suburban church. We live in the suburbs. The suburbs are all built around comfort and convenience and having your needs met. Drive through everything, pick up a phone, call, somebody comes. Is that really where your life is? 
For those of you who are Christians, you've, you've received this life. You've been invited into the, the, the life of God through Christ Jesus. Do you ever find yourself slipping back into those things? Be honest. Be honest. You ever find yourself like, oh man, I did it again. I know I'm supposed to receive my life from God, but I've been receiving life from my paycheck. I've been receiving life from my time at the gym, my, my health and my fitness. Listen, I love you and I love that you love to go to the gym and I love that you even eat kale, but you're going to die. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church, right? Like that's, that cannot be your ultimate source of life. You heard it here first. Kale cannot be your source of life, right? Take that to the bank. <laughs> experiences, I mean, good experiences, traveling or, or going to different places, it's all fine, it's all wonderful, but, but you, Christian, dear Christian, you have been told something. You've, you've been given this look, this peek behind the curtain. You have the life of God through Christ Jesus. We read this, this verse, Colossians chapter three, Pete, actually this is funny, this is how you know, I think that, that God's doing something. So I, I prepped this sermon and I wanted to close with this verse from Colossians. Pete, day before yesterday, goes, oh, I found this great verse to do for the call to worship. It's from Colossians. I'm like, oh, sweet. So you're gonna get this like multiple times today. Colossians three, one through four. If you have been raised with Christ, any of you been raised with Christ? You've been given that life through the resurrection of Jesus? Then seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden, is, is wrapped up, is tied in, is plugged in with Christ in God. Then, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, because you are not built on a shaky foundation. You've been called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is good news, amen? Father, I ask and I pray that you'd help us all today, wherever we are in our lives, to be, to be reminded of where we seek our life, where we seek our joy, where we seek our sustenance. God, there are many good endeavors and many good pursuits that we can be involved in. But God, I'm asking and I am praying that each and every single one of those things would be secondary to finding our life in God through Christ Jesus. God, for those who are here today who are not yet believers, I'm asking God that you would, you would show them that, that invitation into your life, that they would receive that call, that they would dive in, they would plug in, they would be a part of the good life that you have for them. God, for those of us who are already Christians, God, would you forgive us for those times where we set our minds on earthly things and where we seek our life in all sorts of shakable, transient, temporary things. And God, even now as we sing and as we celebrate the Lord's table and as we give of our tithes and offerings, would you fill us up with that life that we have through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' good name, amen. Friends, we're gonna respond and we're gonna respond in a few ways. Excuse me, the first way we're going to respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know there's no obligation or, or arm twisting or pressure to give. We want to invite you to give, for anyone who's here, to give as an act of worship to God, loving response to the life that he's given to us. And actually, giving of your finances is a great way for you to say, this money is not my source of life. I'm going to give of this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to feel it because I want to be reminded that Christ really, truly is my life. As they're collecting the offering, I'll invite the musicians to come and prepare. Let me read a few questions, uh, discussion questions and things to pray about this week that will help us in our community groups and in our homes as we 
as we worship this week too. Number one, why is the doctrine of the Trinity such a non-negotiable for the Christian faith and how does a better understanding of the Trinitarian life encourage our faith? Uh, when we post up this sermon online, I'm going to post some additional resources for studying the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, just pace yourself. Again, we don't want you to come back next week having lost your mind. So think about it though. Be honest. If someone was to analyze your choices, actions, and attitudes, what would they say that your life was all about? And what needs to change so that Jesus can be your life more? How is, number three, how is the gospel, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, our only true source of life? And then number four, uh, share things with your group. What, who in your life needs this life that Jesus offers? Who do you know that is, is not plugged into the ultimate source of life? And, and how does God want to use you to, to share this word so they can hear his word and live? And then please pray that our lives as, as a church family, as disciples, our lives would be more and more defined by the gospel, not by earthly things. And then pray for opportunities to share Jesus' life with those people that you know who need it. The volunteer is going to hand out the elements for communion right now and invite you to hold on to these. We'll, we'll have a moment to pause and to pray and to reflect before we take communion. But even today, let me, let me read from 1 Corinthians 11, this, this passage that we read. And I want to share one thought with you today as we, as we eat and we drink. But this is what the Apostle Paul writes. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, there's this invitation to reflect. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And today, I would like to invite you as you examine yourself, as you look at your heart, as you invite the spirit to examine you, ask this question, God, where am I seeking my life apart from you? And as God brings his loving conviction, conviction, not condemnation, the hope for change, not uh, stuck in your sin, as God brings that conviction, I invite you to repent, to, to hand that to God, and then as you eat and you drink, again, this is a small, this isn't some big meal that's gonna actually sustain you. I would not say, you know, eat this and then go run a 5K. But this is a deeply significant moment where we remember that we find our life in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So eat and drink today and receive his grace. We'll have a moment to pause and the musician will invite us to stand and we'll sing together. Let me pray again. God, thank you for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the grace that we've been shown through his blood. And as we eat and as we drink now in, in memorial of what Jesus did, I pray, God, that you would supernaturally in just that mysterious way that we can't even really understand, that you would meet with us now, that you would sustain us, you would energize us, you would uh, remind us of where our life is truly found. And as we eat and drink, and as we stand in a moment, and as we sing, I pray, Lord God, that you would fill us with your life. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.